You guys may be seated. So, all right, good morning. My name is uh, Ricky, as I told you a few minutes ago. I am the youth director here at Grace Community Church, and I'm grateful to get to be here with, the, with you guys this morning. Um, I'm not normally the guy that's up here preaching. Just as Scott and Keisha, they're not normally the ones leading worship. Brad, our lead teaching elder, he is, he is up in Virginia actually offici- officiating a wedding of two who are in our body, Scooter and Melissa. And then uh, David as well is up, and he is leading music. So I'm very grateful for Scott and Keisha who led us in worship this morning and the, and the whole team, really, and thankful that I get to be here and, and preach this morning. So anyway, my name is Ricky. As I said, I'm the youth director. If you have been coming for a while now, then you know that we've been walking through the book of Hebrews. And if this is your first time at Grace, I first of all want to say welcome. Uh, you are welcome here, and we are so glad that you've chosen to come and to worship with our family, with our body this morning. Uh, but I encourage you to come back next week. Come back and hear Pastor Brad as he continues to walk through the book of Hebrews with us. And the book of Hebrews will be finished this summer. So you don't want to miss out. Get in and uh, catch the last couple chapters of the, of the book of Hebrews as ba- Pastor Brad's walking through there. But this morning, we're going to take a brief break from Hebrews. We're going to actually walk through a small book that most people kind of overlook in the back of the New Testament. So if you go ahead and flip to the back there, you'll find a letter from a guy named Jude. And because of the length of this letter and because of the way we're going to be reading through it this morning, I'm going to, we're going to do something a little different. Typically, we, we stand up whenever we read God's word. But this morning, I'm going to ask you just to remain standing. Because if you were to stand up every time we read God's word this morning, you're going to be dancing. You're going to be up. You're going to be down. You're going to be up. You're going to be down. You're, it'll probably help keep you awake. But I'm going to ask you to just kind of settle in. Okay, I want you to, I want you to kind of settle in and allow yourself to feel the eagerness that you feel whenever you go. Well, at my house, you hear the mail truck coming. And when you hear the mail truck coming, my kids all get, inside, get excited, all four of them. Yes, I have four. <laughs> it's crazy. Pray for us. Um, but whenever the mail truck, at least we have four people to go get the mail, so that's great. But then we have to go back and pick up all the pieces they dropped. <laughs> so you know how that goes. Um, whenever you hear the mail truck come, uh, coming, everyone gets excited. Uh, you hear the mailbox lid close. Somehow we could hear that from, from in, in our house. Maybe she slams it. And she drives off. And then my kids go out and they grab the mail and they bring it into us. Whenever they bring the mail into us, uh, to us at our house, we, we start to flip through it and allow yourself to feel the eagerness you feel whenever there is a letter that's not standard mail. It's first class and it has your name written on it. And it's a handwritten letter and it's from someone you've never heard from before. So what you do is you take it and you, you grab, for me, your pocket knife, um, if you're a redneck like me, or you grab your letter opener if you have one of those, and you, and you open it up and you jump on your couch, uh, wherever it is, you sit down to get comfortable. Maybe you fluff the pillows behind your back. You grab a throw blanket and you pull it up and you start to look at this envelope. You're looking at the return address. Who is this? You open up the letter and you start to pour over every single word. So let's imagine, Grace Community Church, you have received a letter this morning. From a man you've never heard of before. We just don't hear much from him. Verse 1 in the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Now your first thought might be like, who is Jude? (laughs) I've never heard of this Jude before. This is the only letter we have from him. Jude is very obscure. And if it wasn't for this letter, we would not even know who Jude is, I'm sure. And you know what? I think that Jude, he would be okay with that. But we read that he is the brother of James. And we know that the brother of James, if you read through other scripture, you'll pick out that 
Well, Jesus had two brothers named James and Judas. And the name Jude is actually short for Judas. So we read here that Jude, he is the brother of James. And he is also the brother of Jesus. But how does he refer to his relationship with Jesus? All right, he drops, he drops some names saying, hey, I'm the brother of James. But then he says the servant of Jesus. How many of you are willing to call yourself a servant of your brother or your sister? Not me. I have a twin brother. I should be. But it's not natural for us to willingly refer to ourselves as a servant. I mean, today in our time, it's hard to tell who's in charge. Because when you look at titles, it's tough to tell the chain of command because no one wants to sound like, well, that they're not in command. No one wants to be a servant. Who's willing to call themselves a servant? Well, Judas. Judas saying, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I am willing to live under authority. You see, a servant of God is not someone who's, who's just beaten down and left. But a servant of God is someone that was well, lifted up. A servant of God is not one who is stripped of all things and left naked. No, a servant of God is clothed with righteousness and he's given all things. A servant of God is not one who is, who is abandoned and left, who's afraid to approach God out of fear of his life. No, a servant of God can walk right into God just as a son going to his father. Jude, he's saying, I am a servant of God. And he's saying, I know who I am. And he wants us to know who we are, servants of God. He's saying, I am free. I know my identity. I am free from what the world thinks comes with being a servant of what the world calls me because I know what God thinks of me. And I know what he says. And Jude is happy to be called a servant. Being called a servant is not bondage. It's to be released from the bondage that the world has on us. And it's to be made alive in what God says about us. So what does God say about us, though? What does he say about us through the letter of Jude this morning? That we have now kicked back, we're comfortable, the ceiling fan's running above us. I love that feeling. April, she freezes. She doesn't like the ceiling fan. I love it. Crank it up. And I'm settled in, and we're just reading this word, and we're seeing servants of God. Jude, who, what, what is this? What does God say? He says, those who are called are beloved by the Father. They are kept for Jesus Christ. Wow. And to think that being a servant of God is a bum deal. If being a servant of God is to be beloved by the Father and to be kept for Jesus, then I want to be the first to say, sign me up. I'll be a servant of God. But some of you, though, you're not so quick. You're not so sure. I don't know if I want to be a servant of God because I'm just not sure about him yet. You're not sure what it even feels like to be wanted. Because really in this life, well, it just doesn't last whenever you're wanted. Let me read you a quote from a guy named Charles Spurgeon. I'm sure you've heard of him. I love this. Let this soak in. He's contemplating his salvation, reflecting on God loving him. He says, I believe the doctrine of election because I'm quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should have never chosen him. And I'm sure that he chose me before I was born or else he would have never chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked down upon me with special love. Man, how about us? Can we say this? Can we agree with Spurgeon about our spiritual condition and our depravity? Me? 
Me? Those who know Jesus are thrilled to be called his servant. But you see, some of us, though, don't want to be called a servant because honestly, we're just not willing to go low enough. We're not willingly to go low enough. But that doesn't mean you're not hearing his call. Right now, you may be called. The Lord may be calling out to you, asking you to come low enough. Do you feel the pull of the Holy Spirit saying, I want you? When you finally surrender your expectation of God, when you finally stop saying, God, I expect you to serve me, and you finally start saying, God, I'm okay and grateful and privileged to serve you, that's when you know you're at rock bottom. And that's not a bad thing. Because when you're at rock bottom, you'll open your eyes and you'll see you're not alone. First of all, you'll see us. Many of us at Grace Community Church who are grateful to just be a servant of the Lord. And you'll open your eyes and you'll see that Jesus is there with you. Because Jesus came. Do you know he came as a servant? He came as low as one could go. So that he could lift you up. He is gentle. He is lowly in heart. And in him you'll find rest for your weary souls. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. It is great to be a servant of God. Guys, I don't want you to overlook in these first couple of verses. Look at your Bibles there, verses 1 and 2. Don't overlook the Trinity here. The Spirit calls. We are loved by God, and we are kept for Jesus of Christ. For Jesus Christ. And many of you, though, you just don't know how this feels, really. Because maybe you felt a little bit of acceptance in this life, but it just doesn't last, as I mentioned earlier. Because people change their minds. Circumstances change. You don't live up to the expectations, and people let you go. But not God. God, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't forget about people. And whenever we don't meet his expectations, we have Jesus who keeps us. God doesn't forget about you because he keeps you. So I want to say, if calling ourselves a servant is to say that, hey, we are beloved by God. We are kept for Jesus. Then I'm okay with that. But my question is, are you okay with that? Are you willing to go as low as Jesus? Are you willing to be humbled and obedient to God, even to the point of death, for the glory of God? If so, then I want you to know that he will lift you up. Are you his servant? I want you to know who you are matters. Knowing that you're a servant of God matters. All right, we've got to move on to verse two. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So Jude, he's identified himself in this letter, and he's saying, those of us who know we're servants of God, we are loved by God. We are kept for Jesus. And he wants us to know who we are matters. And he prays for them by saying, I pray for them to have mercy, peace, and love. Notice that Jude doesn't pray that they'll have wealth, health, and prosperity, because that's not what defines a Christian. That's not what a Christian needs. What defines a Christian is mercy, peace, and in love. Verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, 
who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude, we've opened up our letter, we've settled in, and he is writing to us about this common salvation that we have. We're settling in, we're comfortable, we feel the cool air blowing on us, the covers are pulled up, and we're just enjoying, wow, what it is to be a servant of God. But then Jude's tone changes, and he flips the switch, and he sounds the alarm. And there's instant tension that demands that we come up to the edge of our seats to see what this is that Jude is leading us into. We didn't know it, but you see, Jude was preparing us for something. In the first two verses, Jude was making sure that we knew the truth about God's love before he sounded the alarm. Before people are called into action, before they're giving a task, they need to be sure, first of all, about who they are. Before you're called into action, you must know as a Christian, first of all, that you're a servant, that you are loved, and that you're kept for Jesus. And Jude's saying that faith has been challenged by certain people. I wanted to tell you who you were. So now I want you to know there is a challenge. And it's time for us to rise up and to contend. And you'll see that the book of Jude, it's a sermon. And it's not just a sermon that was written for the people in Jude's day, some 2,000 years ago. But it's also, well, it's for us today. I believe if Jude were right here today in our times, he would write the same letter to Christians. Just as God is unchanging, the faith was once for all delivered to the saints. It is unchanging. The message that was delivered to the apostles, the message, the word that became flesh, Jesus Christ, it is unchanging. But Jude says, not everyone agrees. And there are many among them, there are many among us who change Jesus' message. In David Hellman, his commentary on the book of Jude, he says this, to put it plainly, they were taking advantage of God's grace and setting aside God's authority. There are people today who are taking advantage of God's grace and who are setting aside God's authority. Jude's not only saying, hey, who you are matters. Jude is also saying what you believe matters. Pastor Brad, just two weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 11, walking through it, he said that, Obedience follows faith. Guys, obedience follows faith. Jude's brother, James, he wrote about this in his book. Faith without works, well, it's dead. The youth group, for the last 13 weeks, all throughout the the spring semester, we've walked verse by verse through the letters of John. And there's been one question we've been asking, one of two. The first one is, how do you know if someone's a child of God? How do you know? Well, the first thing is, do they obey God's commands? This was not the people Jude's writing about. They didn't obey God's commands. They presumed on God's grace whenever it came to what they wanted. Well, sexual pleasure and greed. You see, what they did is they made excuses not to obey God. They gave permission where God did not give permission. These certain people, they took the Christian liberty God had given them and they turned it into a license of immorality. They presumed on God's grace. They were saying, hey, do what you want. It doesn't matter because God's grace will just cover it all. Do some say that today? But what they don't realize, though, is God's saving grace is for God's people. Right? And who are God's people? God's people are those who obey his commands. We all want to say, well, everyone's God's children. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's children look like their father. 
To be a child of God, to be a servant of God, is to be saved from your sensuality to sanctification. To be a child of God is not given the freedom to sin, but it's to be given the freedom from sin. God's grace is not to be presumed on. John Calvin says it's bad enough to live under a prince who permits everything, or to permits nothing, but much worse to live under one who permits everything. It's bad to live under a prince who permits nothing, but much worse to live under one who permits everything. Jude's sounding the alarm. He's saying, wake up. It's time to come to the edge of your seats as you're reading this letter and realize that the faith is being challenged and I'm calling you to contend for the faith. And we may read this and we think that's right because those people... And we, we want to point outside of the church and say, look and see what they're doing. See what they're teaching. But I want you to notice something. Who's Jude writing to? The church. He's saying they're among you. The challenge to not presume on God's grace is for the church. Are you giving permission for that which God does not give permission? Are you giving license for that which God says is sin? Do not presume on God's grace. Now, for some of you, this may be the moment that you start to feel this fear. (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't want you to forget what Jude's saying here. Remember, he first told us who we are before we started getting these harsh, challenging words. Not harsh, challenging. I would say loving words. (laughs) Because he cares for those he's writing to. He cares for us. And he is saying, remember, though. As a servant, as one who is called, you're loved by God. You are kept for Jesus. But he is saying, be aware though. If you are one who lives presuming on God's grace, well then you may not be a servant of God. So Jude's telling us, he's saying, I want you to know who you are in Christ. Who you are matters. Jude is saying what you believe matters. And some are contending. Some are challenging the faith. And he's saying rise up. It's time to contend for the faith. And you may start getting pumped up as you're reading this letter. You're on the edge of your seat. Maybe you're sitting on the the edge of your ottoman. You've thrown the cover off. And you're saying give it to me Jude. What do I do? I'm ready to go. I think of football players. They've been given the pep speech. They've been told who they are and how they're better. And they're they're ready to go out and nail someone. The coach says, wait a second. Wait, we need to identify what the other team's doing first. We need to prepare. Judah's saying, not so fast. First of all, let me tell you how the faith is being challenged. You got to first understand the errors that we're dealing dealing with. In this letter, Jude, it's beautiful. He's giving us a lesson on sermon writing. I hope you get to go back later. We are running through Jude this morning. So I forgot to say earlier, buckle up. (laughs) And uh, because we are flying through the whole thing. Jude here, he's teaching us. People like me who who love to teach the Bible and and hope to do it for a living. Grateful to you. This is how you write a sermon. In verses 5 through 7, he's taking some examples from the past, the Old Testament. And he's saying, see this? And then he's taking examples in verses 8 through 10 from the current day. And he's saying, see this? Before we move on, though, to verse 5, I want you to look back at verse 4. I skipped over something at the very beginning. Seven little words that may cause trouble. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. The next part, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. 
there are some who have been designated for this condemnation. Some of the people that are challenging the faith are designated for condemnation. Why? Because they're following the examples that Jude is about to give us. You do what they did, you end up like they are. Maybe you're like me and you just can't believe today. You can't believe maybe some of the things Christians are accepting. Like, really? <laughs> maybe you can't believe some things that the, well, that the church is teaching. You're, really? We don't need to miss the message of Jude here. What he is doing is he's saying, there's one thing for certain. There have always been imposters among God's people. Always. Don't miss this important lesson here in the book of Jude. There have always been and there are imposters among God's people. There may even be some here today. Verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. See? (laughs) Jude, he's saying, look, this is a real people at a real event in time. They experienced the exodus. They wandered out in the desert in their unbelief. God was faithful. They were faithless. And they were destroyed because of their unbelief. There have always been imposters among God's people. Don't presume on God's grace. Verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their positions of authority but left their proper dwelling has kept God in, has, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Okay, this is likely referring to verse 6. Jude's throwing us some curveballs, all right? If you look ahead, you're, you're kind of saying, I want to see what he's going to say about this. So he, he's, he's referring to Genesis 6 here. If you have read Genesis 6, what you'll see and what you remember is that, well, there was a time that angels actually left their residence. And they took up residence with man, well, to satisfy their lustful appetites for their women. And of course, our minds can't help but go to Satan and the angels who were booted out of heaven because of their rebellion. But I don't want you to miss the warning. Once again, even from some who have been in the presence of God, some of those choose to leave their place in order for autonomy from God to satisfy their lustful appetites. They don't honor his boundaries. They don't respect God's boundaries. And instead of being kept for Jesus, where are they kept? They're being kept by eternal change under gloomy darkness until the day of God's judgment. The warning here, don't presume on God's grace. Verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. He even points out there, Jude says they're an example. If you're familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll also know there are angels in play here. The men were going after the angels, but they didn't know they were angels. They thought that they were men. But their sin was they were going after sexual immorality. And what happened? Well, they were punished. Don't presume on God's grace. Are you guys seeing what Jude's doing here? It's beautiful. He's taking all of these examples and he's warning God's people. And he's saying there are some among you who are headed toward judgment. And some people say, what? No. I mean, what about grace? Remember, what about grace? And Jude's saying, oh, grace. Well, what about the unbelieving Jews? What about, what about the angels? Well, do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Do not presume On God's grace. Just as these were designated for condemnation. Jude's wanting the light bulb to go off in our head. For us to say. Oh wait a second. These people among us. Well they're. They're those people. 
Just because you're among God's people doesn't mean that you are his. There have always been imposters. Do not presume on God's grace. Verse 8, yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So I want to ask you a question. What is reality to you? Okay, is the, specifically, is the kingdom of God a reality to you? Because if the kingdom of God is reality to you, then it's going to change your perspective. It's going to change your attitude. The kingdom of God, if it's reality to you, it'll change your priorities. It'll change who you are. It it changes your life if the kingdom of God is reality to you. Whatever is reality to you changes you. But many of us today, what is a reality to us is less the kingdom of God and more of the political situations or more of how our sports teams are performing. Or the reality for us is the rants we're reading about on Facebook and we get so worked up and we're changed by these things because that is what we hold as reality. Is the kingdom of God a reality to you? Or does whatever your reality is, does it give you permission for immorality? Does it give you permission to reject God's authority? If so, Jude is saying you may be them. Headed to condemnation. Judgment is real, he's saying. Do not presume on God's grace. Verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce the blasphemous judgment. A blasphemous judgment. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. Some of you are saying, hey, what's he going to say about this? Man, this is, getting, this is getting good stuff here. All right. Remember what Jude's doing. Jude's writing us a sermon. And man, he is good at what he does. Jude, he's laid out his points for us. All right. He's given us the points. He's given us examples of the Old Testament. And what he's doing now is he's drawn from literature of what was then uh, known among day, people of that present day. This is, this is done many times in the Bible. You see Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.33, he says this, bad company ruins good morals. All right? he's, he's doing what a good preacher does. He was grabbing from a comedic play, a Greek play written in like the early 300s BC, something that everyone would know. And Judas doing the same thing right here. He's grabbing something from apocryphal literature, all right, the assumption of Moses, something that everyone would be familiar of, and he's grabbing truth out of it to make his point. That's what good preachers do today. <laughs> Things that you know about that's going on, they make their point with that. So you may be asking, well, what's Jude's point? <laughs> this whole Moses battling Michael, what's, what's his point? Well, verse 8, he's talking about these people. And then verse 9, he talks about Michael. He's saying, don't be like these people, but be like Michael. All right, be like Michael. What did he do? Well, he honored God's boundaries. He knew his place. Michael, he didn't presume on God. Don't presume on God, but be content to live as a servant, honoring God's boundaries under authority. Unlike Michael, these certain people in verse 10, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Wow. Man, does this sound like something we need to hear today in our world? I think this is for us. And Jude doesn't end there. He just keeps going, and neither are we. Okay, we have a long ways to go still, and contending for the faith is hard work, and Jude is pressing on, and he's hitting us again with more examples. And he says this in verse 11. Woe to them. 
For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. Jude's trying to say, wake up. There is judgment for the ungodly. See, Cain, he was like the unbelieving Jews in verse 5. He was a fugitive and he was a wanderer on the earth. Right? And Jewish tradition tells us that as Cain wandered around, he actually taught contrary to God's word. And then we see that Balaam, he was like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Balaam, how did he end up? Well, he ended up being destroyed in a sensual and godless city by the army of the Lord. You see, Balaam, he was greedy. And Balaam, he gave permission to God's people to satisfy their sexual desires that were immoral. Well, Korah, he was like the angels in verse 6. Korah, he didn't respect God's order of authority, the boundaries that God had laid out. And Korah, well, he too ended up being swallowed alive by the earth, being kept in darkness. Guys, catch this. Remember, who's this for? It's for us. Jude is writing for the church and he's saying, who are you listening to? What teaching are you listening to? Are you listening to Cain? Are you listening to Cain who feels that he can change God's word to what he thinks is fair? Are you listening to Balaam who, well, he gives permission to be sexually immoral? Are you listening to Korah? Do you presume to know better than God? You can't have Jesus and hold on to what you think is fair. You can't have Jesus and hold on to your sensuality. And you can't have Jesus and think that you know more than him or better than he does. Jude is saying, woe to them. And if you are one of those presuming on God's grace, then woe to you. I want you to just listen to these next two verses. All right? These are beautiful verses. We're going to read all the way through 16. Verse 12. These are hidden reefs. At your love feast. You see, they're like rocks on the seashore that crash ships. Steer clear, Jude's saying. As they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. You see, they're only concerned about their own desires. They're waterless clouds. They're swept along by the winds. They promise much, but they deliver nothing. Fruitless trees late in autumn. Twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. You see, they're pridefully showing publicly what they ought to be ashamed of. The wandering stars. They're like planets when you look out at night and you think they're stars and then they're gone. The next night, they miss guide travelers. These are for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And then Jude goes right into one more application from what was then known in present day literature. Verse 14, it was, for, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. To execute judgment on all to who convict all the ungodly of their, all their desires, of the, excuse me, of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, they're malcontents, they're following their own sinful desires, they're loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Man, Jude said, pop, 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 these are these people are. He's saying, guys, I want you to remember who you are matters. Why? So that you are ready to contend. 
And he's saying, I want you to know what you believe matters. Why? Because judgment is coming. Judgment's coming for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Well, it's those people who grumble against the word of God. It's those who aren't content with God's set boundaries. Those who give permission for their desires, who live pridefully in their rebellion, presuming on God's grace. They show favoritism to all to gain advantage. Jude's letter is for us. It's for our day. Who you are matters, so you're ready to contend. What you believe matters because judgment is coming. We are to contend for the faith that matters. And we finally arrive to verse 17. All right, it's getting to the point now. We're on the edge of our seat. It's getting to the point now where Jude's going to give us our orders. He's going to tell us how it is we are to contend for this faith. In verses, he made this clear in verse 3. He said, I'm writing this letter because you need to contend for the faith. The occasion for it is the faith has been challenged. And then verse 4 through 16, he made sure we understood how the faith is being challenged. He's saying, I want you to see their tactics. I want you to see their errors. You need to know who you are. You need to know what you're doing so that you can contend for the faith that matters. But Jude, we know he's not just a preacher. We know that he's not just a person who appreciates truth and literature. But we know by now, Jude, he's a historian as well. He's got his history book open on the side and he's just littering his sermon with all of this history. And he's saying one more word from history. Verses 17 through 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles, of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there'll be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the spirit. Jude, at this time, it's when he closes his history book. And he turns back to the letter that he's writing. We were left, remember a few minutes ago, we began just kicking back, enjoying what it is to be a servant of God, loved and kept for Jesus. Man, it's so great. And then he flipped the switch, he sounded the alarm, and we were brought to the edge of our seats because of the tension. Jude said, the faith is being challenged. The faith that you hold so dear, the faith that you share as a common salvation. And he's saying, I'm writing to you because it's time to contend for the faith. We must fight for the faith. And I can't help but think of tomorrow. There's an anniversary tomorrow. When I think about fighting for the faith, contending for the faith. Tomorrow, June 6th, that marks the 72nd anniversary of the Normandy landings. And I... I can't help but thinking about this, but to think about the movie Saving Private Ryan. And if you've ever seen the movie, the movie opens up with one of the most moving scenes to me. And the camera is far away, and you see these boats full of soldiers crashing through the sea, heading toward Omaha Beach. And the camera shows a foggy morning. It looks cold, and you see a man reach over the side of the boat, and he vomits into the ocean and then the camera immediately cuts into the boat and you are in there with the soldiers and it shows a man's hand shaken violently as he tries to unscrew the canteen to get what may be his last drink of water on this side of eternity you hear the crashing of the waves you hear the hum of the boat motors but somehow it's deathly quiet and at that point the The camera starts to pan back and you see the pale faces of all the soldiers. And you can't help but notice a man putting a chew of tobacco in his mouth has a gold wedding ring reminding us of the sacrifice he is making. The camera makes it up to the front of the boat and you hear a man yell out, the man driving the boat. He says, 30 seconds, may God be with you. A man vomits inside the boat and immediately another man vomits. 
And then you start hearing what you knew would come, but you hoped wouldn't. But it's what the men knew would come that day as well. You hear attacks. The men are being sprayed by water, not from the waves, but from ammunition crashing into the sea. The boat then runs ashore. They run up. They open the front gate of the vessel. It swings open. And then most of you know what happened that morning on Omaha Beach. Guys, the faith is being attacked. And Jude says, it's time to contend for the faith. These men came to fight. He is calling us to fight. Jude gives us our orders, beginning in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Man, what comforting words those are right before you go into battle. How does he open up? But you, beloved. Let me ask you, where do you see the word beloved typically? It's in obituaries. And the same was true in the Greek-speaking world. Did you know what he was writing? Did he know what he was calling those people to? Does Jude know what he's calling us to? He's calling us beloved. Does he know what's coming? I think so. Did Jesus know he was headed to Calvary? Jesus knew. Jesus was scared. But as a servant, Jesus obeyed. Beloved, keep yourself in the love of God. How? Simply obey his commands. That's how he knows who are his. (laughs) Those who belong to God obey his commands. Those who are kept by Jesus. He says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. How? By training. (laughs) By preparing. How do you build yourselves up in the most holy faith? Discipline. And did you guys know that discipline is not a dirty word? (laughs) Just as serving is not a dirty word. Who knew that serving could be so freeing? Who knew knew that spiritual disciplines could be so rewarding? He's saying pray in the Holy Spirit. Guys, can you hear it? Can you hear the bullets flying overhead? The waves crashing? The hum of the boat behind you? And you know what's coming, what you feared. That the battle for the Christian faith is about to get bloody for you. Maybe it's at this moment, you hear from the back of the boat near the home of the motor, you hear the martyred missionary Jim Elliott scream out, 30 seconds, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We are not alone. The church is never alone. Pastor Brad reminded us two weeks ago, there are many who have gone before us. There are many who are with us, family. And there are many who are coming behind Not only are you loved by God, you are kept for Jesus. You're comforted by the Holy Spirit. That even when the church is scared, we know the Holy Spirit is in us. He's comforting us. The Holy Spirit's praying on our behalf whenever we are scared stiff because of the battle that's inevitable. Guys, it's so worth it. To be a servant. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of God. Of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What is reality? The reality is the battle. It's reality. But what is also reality? It's the reward. It's eternal life. 
There will come a day when what seems so distant, and they may be eternal life for you. <laughs> That's when the boat's going to run ashore. That day's going to come. It's going to be here. And we're be, we are being called to contend for the faith by remembering the words of the apostles, keeping ourselves in the love of God, building ourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the spirit while waiting on the mercy of Jesus. Guys, I want you to know, as our boat is landing on the shore, Jesus is not going to forget about you. You're not going to be abandoned. But he will keep you into eternal life. You see, Jesus won the battle at the resurrection. And when he won, we did too. We read our last orders in verses 22 and 23. Jude says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Guys, I want you to remember, who is this message for? The message is for us. The message is for the church. And there are some in the church who doubt. There's some in the church this morning, you have questions. You're just not sure. We're to have mercy on those who doubt, who are conflicted. And not only are we to have mercy on those who doubt, but we are to snatch others from the fire. Guys, this doesn't sound just like praying that they'll come to church and they'll hear the gospel. This is downright battle, getting in the nitty gritty, the getting dirty into people's lives. Contending for the faith, reaching in, snatching them out of the fire, being used by God to save some who are headed to eternal death. And lastly, we're to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that's stained by the flesh. Be careful. Guys, the church needs to be careful. We're called to show mercy. That is clear. And Jude says, show mercy, but with fear. Why? Lest you be drawn into their sin while showing mercy. Don't give permission for that which God does not give permission. Do not give license for that which God calls sin. Do not presume on God's grace. Show mercy with fear. We take communion at the first Sunday of every month. And that's today. I'm grateful that we get to share in this meal together. This time I'm going to ask our, our servers to come up front. And they're going to sit along the front wherever they can fit. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a station set up in front of each section. And the people in this far section are going to come down the row on your right. Partake at the station in front of you. Go back up along the aisle along the wall. This middle section are going to come down the row on your left. Partake at the station in front of you. Go back up the middle aisle. This section, you're going to come down the row on your right. Partake of the station in front of you. Back up the middle aisle. Far section, you're going to come down the row on your left. Station in front of you. Back up the aisle along the row. If you're not able to come forward to share in this meal with us, then I simply ask you to just let the usher know. As your row is being dismissed, there'll be ushers that will work their way up the rows and tell you when to go. If you can't come forward, someone will come and serve you at your seat. But let's not forget our word from Jude this morning. You see, we are a people who share a common salvation that Jude was writing to us about. We are a people who share together in contending for the faith. 
And one way that we do this is by partaking of a meal. This meal is very similar to the one that Jesus partook of, well, the night before his death, before his crucifixion. We do this to remember. We do this remembering, well, Jesus' sacrifice, and we willingly do the same. We do this remembering Jesus' end, and our hope that that's going to be ours too, that where he is, we are going. We come to the Lord's table in fellowship as a people who share together. This is a meal of thanksgiving, reminding us that we are together and never alone. Where the church is, he is. But I want to let you know I'm responsible, though, to let you know that this meal is not for everyone. This meal is a meal that's for sinners. Yeah, but it's a meal for sinners who will willingly admit, gratefully to say, our utter dependence is not on ourselves for salvation, but our dependence is. Is on the sacrifice of Jesus. Our hope is in his resurrection. And we know that the only power we have to contend for this faith is given to us through the Holy Spirit. This meal is for servants. If you haven't put your hope in heaven, hope for heaven in Jesus, and ask you just remain in your seat, or you either come forward and you pass by the station and don't partake. But some of you here today, you're living in unrepentant lives. Maybe you're living in public sin. Maybe you're living in secret sin. I don't know. But I do want you to not miss Jude saying, don't presume on God's grace. While I ask you not to participate in this meal we're going to partake, I do invite you, though, and what I hope you will do is to accept the invitation. I'd I'd rather you turn to the one who calls, the one who loves you, the one who keeps you. But to come, I do want you to know there is a cost. But it's so worth it. This table is for servants. It's for children of God. When it comes to the Christian life, it's a beautiful thing. The Christian life, dying is living. And, well, serving is freeing. This meal is for the weak. Jesus came for the weak. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. Remembering Spurgeon's quote, I'm grateful. Me? I invite you to die with us. I invite you to live with us. I invite you to contend with us. I invite you to believe and to share in the faith that is our common salvation. That's my hope. So let's close our eyes. And let's take a moment to remember Jesus who contended and won at the resurrection. And we too are called to remember as we contend. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Let's take a moment to remember, to reflect, and to repent. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.